welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the OnFit podcast, a weekly discussion on key trends in investment and economic policy from some of the world's leading commentators. I'm Emma McGarthy, head of OnFit Sustainable Policy Institute, and today we will be discussing developments in nature-positive frameworks, risk metrics and investments with the role of central banks. I'm delighted to be joined today by Tatagir Deviris, head of Department Financial Stability at the Netherlands Bank and co-chair of the NGFS Task Force on Nature-Related Risks. So welcome, Saskia, and thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Emma. No, it's uh, my pleasure uh, to be here and uh, looking forward to talk to you about uh, the important topic of biodiversity. Exactly. Very, a very important topic indeed. So, Obviously, it's something that is rising on the agenda in, in financial markets and across the financial sector. And the Netherlands Bank is taking huge steps and kind of beginning to address this. And it's is sort of leading in, in terms of central banks work in, in trying to mitigate biodiversity impacts. So why is this something that financial institutions need to start considering? And how has the DMB been addressing and assessing nature related risks in financial institutions? Yeah, similarly to what we have realized in terms of climate-related risks, it has become increasingly clear that biodiversity loss, in fact, leads to financial risks, which makes it highly relevant for financial institutions, but also for us as central banks and supervisors. So biodiversity loss poses physical, reputational transition risks to financial institutions. And that comes in part through yeah, the dependencies of corporations and our economy on, on certain ecosystem services. We did uh, a first study at the Dutch Central Bank to sort of get a, a first quantification of, of what we're looking at. And it was about 36% of total exposures of our financial institutions. We looked at all banks, insurers and pension funds that is highly dependent on ecosystem services. So if something happens in that sphere, for example, an ecosystem service, consider pollination as an example, dropping out or or being damaged, uh, there could be huge repercussions uh, leading to uh, immediate credit and market risk. Similarly, there's also transition risk. There is quite some momentum in the policy sphere. Given the biodiversity loss crisis, policymakers around the globe, for example, will be convening under the new biodiversity conference. And that also uh, introduces transition risk because uh, financial institutions through their portfolios can have a negative impact on biodiversity loss. And uh, if they have to curb that, that suddenly, for example, that could induce significant transition risk too. So given that this induces financial risk, I think uh, financial institutions should very much pay attention to it. And also for us as central banks and supervisors, there has come the generic realization that biodiversity next to climate should also be uh, on top of our agenda, given the uh, repercussions for the economy and financial stability We would be forsaking our mandate, actually, if we don't uh, start understanding these risks better and uh, take them into account properly. Thank you. Yeah, I I think uh, that the mandate uh, aspect of things is is an interesting one. And obviously, that's a discussion that we also have have with climate. So it would be good to dive in a little bit deeper in terms of kind of what the Netherlands Bank maybe specifically is, is doing to help address this. What kind of 
scenario analysis tools perhaps that you're putting in, what kind of frameworks that you're putting in to help the financial sector kind of adapt to these risks and, and start integrating that into their kind of frameworks and, and systems and uh, how, how they're working uh, yeah, to kind of drive, drive a transition? Yeah, sure. So uh, we started working on this topic at uh, the Dutch Central Bank, I would say, a few years ago. And uh, we published our first study in the area in, uh, I think it was 2021, Indebted to Nature. Um, that was a first quantification, as mentioned. So we looked both at physical and transition risk, looked at several ways about uh, of quantifying this to, to sort of see, OK, how, how can we assess this? We were... I believe the first in the world. So it was uh, quite experimental. And in order to be able to do so, we cooperated closely with our environmental agency in the Netherlands, because when it comes to assessing biodiversity risks and uh, getting the right metrics, etc., people often say, well, the data is lacking, which in part is true. And I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, a bit more later on. But there is also quite some data available already. And specifically at uh, such institutions as, for example, the environmental agencies, they have many models and, and, and data. So a lot of the effort has gone into uh, gaining access to those, cooperating with these colleagues um, and uh, linking that to the financial data that we have at the Dutch Central Bank. So what we did in the first study was get like an overall picture of what exposures are at risk. It was still quite a static analysis in that sense. And uh, uh, indeed, currently we have started a, a follow up project at the Dutch Central Bank, which intends to take a bit more of a dynamic or risk approach, because, of course, uh, a gross number for exposure set, says um, very little about the actual losses uh, in certain uh, adverse scenarios. So at financial stability, cooperating also with our economic uh, policy department, our sustainable finance office, and again, the, the PBL, so our environmental agency, we are now exploring scenarios to see, okay, both in the area of physical transition risk is both still in scope. We're still, we're exploring to see, um, how we can actually look at some plausible scenarios and, uh, uh, calculate then what that would do to our financial system and our financial institutions. So that's work in progress and uh, we'll be reporting on that uh, going forward. Yeah, thank you. I, I think, yeah, the data issue is definitely something that people are, are raising when we kind of go a little bit deeper into, into biodiversity and the expectations of kind of measuring and, and bringing that in. I think what would be interesting to maybe talk about is obviously the, the task force for nature related uh, financial disclosures has been developed to kind of address these risks and hopefully develop stronger information um, and develop kind of stronger data. So what role do you think disclosure will play in driving risk mitigation and, and how should this be incorporated into financial institution strategy? So as mentioned, although we definitely have to make full use of the data that is available out there, I mean, there's a lot you can do already. So uh, also following what we did uh, in our study, for example, in France, Malaysia, the World Bank, there's quite some uh, substantial work that's already been done with the data that is out there. But having said that, we do need more and better data. That is very clear. Um, so better, consistent, broadly applied standards for both measuring uh, risks and reporting on them uh, would very much help to get a consistent and, and transparent picture of uh, what we're looking at. 
So, for example, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures is a private initiative which uh, yeah, I very much welcome. I mean, uh, uh, this is the first step towards uh, getting towards uh, a broadly shared standard. So that will be immensely uh, valuable going forward. I believe that because of the lack of uh, broadly available and consistent data, the risks are currently undervalued uh, and not priced in properly. And as such, of course, investment decisions are uh, suboptimal. So better data will uh, lead to better valuation of nature-related risks, but also opportunities. And in the end, better investment decisions. Now, of course, this is challenging. It's not easy also for corporates to go through their supply chain to make sure they have this all uh, fixed in data. But I think it will also uh, provide a, a very serious opportunity because companies with high quality disclosures could very well soon turn into, into the preferred uh, investees. And nature positive investments, which you can demonstrate through data and proper disclosures, could become uh, a serious competitive edge going forward. So, um, yeah, there's definitely opportunities there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would like to, to maybe touch upon kind of how we can drive better investment and, and capital allocation towards kind of nature positive uh, investments. But um, I think talking about the nature issues, disclosure, it would be interesting to to hear from you in terms of kind of the difference between looking at climate versus looking at biodiversity, um, what the challenges are there. I mean, one of the things, again, that we hear is that biodiversity is much more challenging to measure because it's a much more complex and localised localized issue, whereas obviously when you're looking at climate and carbon specifically, you have your GHG emissions, and that's maybe a little bit easier to measure and then maybe a little bit easier to kind of disclose what you're doing there. So how can we kind of overcome those sort of difficulties? And, and what are you seeing in terms of the difference between looking at climate versus looking at, at biodiversity when you look at kind of risk and, and disclosure and data within that as well? So biodiversity laws and climate change as risks are very much interrelated. And uh, what we promote is uh, taking a holistic view. I think that's the general consensus that you have to look at both to get the complete picture. So that's also one of the, the vantage points for us, for example, at the NGFS, where we're working on this topic, too. I'll, I'll speak a bit more to that. But climate change is one of the main drivers of biodiversity loss and vice versa. Healthy ecosystems provide resilience to growing climate shocks. In terms of the interrelationships, key activities, consider, for example, land use change and deforestation uh, contribute to both climate change and biodiversity loss. Yeah, and similarly to, to what we do in the area of climate, I mean, biodiversity risks and, and, and the mitigation thereof uh, poses some of the similar challenges. There's long time horizons. There's a lot of uncertainty. There is nonlinearity. There's the possibility of tipping points. So some of the challenges in, in measuring uh, in the area of climate are very similar to the area of biodiversity. Luckily, we have developed uh, a lot in terms of risk measurement and metrics in the area of climate. And I do believe that we can learn a lot from what we did in that sphere. We don't have to start from scratch. And it's true, of course, some of the metrics are different. You have CO2 emissions on the climate sites. But, you know, in a sense, that's also a simplification. Global warming or global climate change uh, is, is broader and has more facets than, than just the CO2 emissions. 
And also on the biodiversity side, okay, it's multifaceted, it's local, you probably need more than one metric, but there are also metrics out there. Consider land use change, nitrogen, etc. So it is measurable. And there are metrics out there which have been out there for a long time. So we also shouldn't uh, stop and refrain from acting because we say it's difficult. To be honest, we also said that for climate-related risks uh, about eight years ago, and look where we are. We made a lot of progress. Yeah, so perhaps that's uh, what I would like to say on that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that's a very kind of uh, positive and, and useful outlook, especially if we wait too long for the perfect metrics and the perfect perfect measurements. We're you're, you're never going to get that. So using that as a reason not to act is is yeah, <laughs> is ineffective. So maybe a difficult question, as I appreciate you're kind of fairly early on the progress of biodiversity, but would the eventual plan or ideal situation be to kind of have biodiversity and climate kind of interlinked when when the financial sector is kind of doing their stress testing when they are disclosing eventually would it kind of the ideal situation be actually not to have it separate but to have both of them kind of integrated and and you're looking at both situations when you're when you're doing that yeah well perhaps i can give you a bit of insight also how we think about these things uh, at the ngfs Ideally, I mean, we have started uh, working uh, with a task force on nature-related risks that was prompted last year by also the the study we did. There was a joint NGFS Inspire study uh, on biodiversity loss and the relevance for central banks. And uh, the conclusion was that given the significant uh, macroeconomic implications and financial stability risk, supervisors should start taking this into account in their mandates. That's what started our task force. And um, the goal or the aim of this task force is to actually help the NGFS net members, which are uh, central banks and supervisors uh, uh, across the globe, to integrate nature-related considerations in everything they do. And integration is an important word because, indeed, it will mean integrating these considerations in what is already being done, for example, in the area of climate-related risks, So um, some of the things we are exploring now with this task force, which is also quite encouraging. I mean, we we launched it in March. I'm uh, co-chairing that together with uh, Sylvie Goulard at Banque de France. But of course, we had a call uh, for members to uh, raise their hand to participate. Well, we have almost 100 members now. So there's broad interest across uh, the globe. And we have uh, uh, sort of structured our work. I mean, what we'll be doing is in any case uh, produce a conceptual framework of how we think about uh, nature-related risks and and biodiversity loss and how it should be integrated. So this will definitely touch upon the interrelationships also with climate. Secondly, uh, uh, what we'll do is do have a bit of a stock take, because as mentioned, the work in this area is quite uh, fast progressing, which is also encouraging. So to keep track of that and make sure we, we uh, disseminate all that knowledge globally and, and with all the members, we will be taking stock and, and probably publishing something in, in that sphere as well. And uh, finally, we'll be uh, considering what we can do in the area of scenarios. I think a lot of the climate risk work we've done has started also with uh, scenario analysis, stress testing, because those are very good tools to deal with the uncertainty and tipping points I mentioned. So uh, we'll be exploring what would be needed, for example, 
To expand the uh, scenario suite we offer as the NGFS to the financial institutions community online, we have very various scenarios in terms of uh, how you can assess climate-related risks, which we uh, offer sort of as a public good. It's on our website. But uh, to see how we could, for example, expand that to include biodiversity as well. And that could very well be integrated scenarios, too. So we're still exploring, but uh, nothing is being done in isolation. This is also a task force, whereas the NGFS is usually organized in work streams. So we have a work stream for supervision, one for monetary policy, one for scenarios. We have a task force because we'll be working together with all those work streams. Because at the end of our mandate, which spans two years, the idea is, I hope we'll have reached that point by then, that we can disband the task force uh, because nature-related considerations will be embedded alongside climate in all uh, the things that we do as NGFS members. Um, so that's ba- that's uh, very much the idea. Yeah. No, that's great. And again, I think that that's super useful. And some of the things that we are kind of hearing, especially when you're looking at biodiversity, but not just that, when you're looking at kind of regulation and and a kind of disclosure expectations just for climate, um, a, a lot of the responses that we receive is where's the convergence? We have so many different things that we have to consider now, like it's it's getting so complicated. And I think that would potentially be an argument for, for integrating biodiversity. But I think if you're looking at them in a holistic way, that's incredibly helpful to, to support the financial sector in kind of taking taking this on in terms of looking at their risk and disclosures. So that's uh, that's really, really positive. So we, we talked a little bit about kind of uh, the investment um, or we, we touched upon that briefly. And that's something that I'd, I'd love to, to go a little bit more into um, now. And so from your perspective, kind of how can we drive better investment and better kind of considerations of allocating assets over to, to nature positive, um, nature positive investments? And what role do you think central banks should be playing in kind of supporting that? So. First of all, I think uh, more transparency will lead the way, as mentioned, if we have better data and it will become more transparent what exactly you're invested in, what the risks are, and of course, where the opportunities are. I think that will already help with uh, a certain real allocation of uh, uh, investments and capital in, in the right direction. I think there is a huge potential. For, for better investments. And there's also a huge role for, for the private sector to play there. I think currently the cash flows that adversely affect nature are still a multitude of the capital flows that uh, actually enhance nature. And as such, financial institutions have a crucial role to play to help reallocate those cash flows. Now, as mentioned, that starts with uh, transparency, disclosure. That's also where we as central banks try to to play a role. I mean, in uh, doing the type of risk assessments such as we did at the Dutch Central Bank and uh, the, the, the work that followed by other central banks and institutions around uh, the world will definitely help in, in push uh, uh, risk measurement uh, forward. We will be asking financial institutions about these risks as well. It was already a while ago that the NGFS, but also, for example, the single supervisory mechanism in the in the European context, published uh, supervisory guides, which were not limited to climate-related risk. They also uh, include guidance on environmental risks as well. So this will be something that uh, will definitely be a topic of conversation between supervisors and financial institutions. So that's also where we have a role to play. And in general, so abstracting from uh, us as central banks, 
public finance, of course, will be very important going forward as well. And hopefully public actors can also help release some of that private capital by by doing some uh, ancillary work in this sphere. Yeah, no, uh, that's uh, again a very, very useful. Just, just going uh, a little bit more into this idea of kind of public finance. How, and I've, you touched upon this slightly already, but how can public finance kind of help the private financial actors kind of begin this transition? And uh, have you got any examples, or are, are you seeing kind of public actors helping to do this in terms of kind of maybe developing? Uh, developing more bonds that support um, nature, nature positive investments or any, anything kind of in that realm. So in terms of potential, I believe there's a lot of potential uh, in unlocking uh, private investments. So perhaps blended finance can also play a role here. The challenge uh, has been, of course, how to structure these public private arrangements and uh, to do that uh, in practice. So some constraints that uh, we're aware of also uh, learning from uh, some IMF uh, work in this area is, for example, supply and demand factors, but also macrofinancial microeconomic uh, uh, impediments, unattractive risk return profi- profiles and unproven markets, uh, high fossil fuel investments, data related constraints, which we've been talking about uh, a lot. So is there a role for the public sector? Well, perhaps they can help reduce some of those constraints. So what they could do is help align incentives through regulations, for example, taxations, guarantees, subsidies, importantly, disclosure requirements, and uh, as such, help induce uh, uh, collective action also from other stakeholders. Certain examples. No, no, but that's uh, that, that that's all very, uh, very useful to hear in any case. Um so just to, just to kind of round off, obviously, as as you know, OMFIS Sustainable Policy Institute and the Netherlands Bank uh, are collaborating on a key event, which is aiming to bring together kind of financial institutions and policymakers to really discuss biodiversity investments and frameworks and the role of nature. This is happening um, on Thursday. Obviously, you're you're speaking at this. Uh, what kind of key outcomes would you like to get from from this event? What would you kind of want the key action points and, and takeaways to be? from those who are going to be participating and, and joining us on that day. Yeah, we're very much looking forward to the event on uh, Thursday. And uh, I have uh, high expectations. I think we have uh, a very nice lineup. And uh, US organizers did a great job to get very influential people on board. So what would I hope to get out of the conference? Well, first of all, hopefully the conference will put biodiversity squarely on the agenda of public and financial uh, and private financial institutions. As explained, I mean, we've broadly come to accept that climate risks are significant prudential and systemic risks that should be addressed and accounted for. And I would hope that soon we'll start accepting that uh, climate risks are just a piece of the puzzle and uh, biodiversity is another part that is essential and should be integrated. And secondly, of course, hopefully the conference should lay some groundwork for further action. So to properly account for biodiversity risks in the financial system, uh, we need to bridge those data gaps. Uh, We have to get sufficient, consistent, standardized disclosures and move forward uh, in, in, in how we take into account biodiversity related risks in our supervisory frameworks. Moreover, 
perhaps we should start moving, uh, considering this as risks and also indeed uh, think more about the opportunities that arise when investing in nature positive activities. So we've talked about some of the challenges, but I truly believe that uh, there are very uh, promising uh, developments currently. Things are moving quite fast and hopefully also this conference can help provide a beginning to uh, start taking action in this sphere. Yeah, completely, completely agree. And I, I think that the focus on opportunities as opposed to kind of the risk is, is very, very good as well. And definitely something that we should be looking at um, going forward. But Saskia, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to speak with us and, and to join us today. Um, thank you also for speaking at the event this week. Really appreciate you taking the time. And thank you also to our listeners. Uh, you can subscribe to this and all our other OnFit podcasts on our channel, which is on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you and thank you again Saskia. Thank you Emma. Thank you for listening to the OnFifth podcast. 